we continue on here in 2 Corinthians, we want to remind ourselves what we were doing in uh, uh, the previous verses. We were talking about what? We were talking about this collection they were taking, right? And he was continuing to talk about this collection. And today we're going to talk more about the collection, what he says about it. He, in this letter, in this section of the letter, he really talks about three different men, Titus and two others. These two others don't really have a name, but we'll talk about them and we'll see what Paul has to say about them. We know Titus, he was the chief delegate. We know the brother renowned or the famous brother here in the ESV is among the Macedonian churches. And we have a third brother and we just don't know much about him at all. And so we're going to talk about these three men. And of course, as we talk about giving, I once again want to say that giving, of course, is important. And offering such as the one that we're taking for the retired missionary offering is, of course, very important. I still think we can come up with another principle here that we're going to find today that I think will really be important and affect our lives that we see in this particular section of the letter. So all the other also in this letter, the collection was a command, not a command. We remember he was saying, you know, I didn't make you do this. I wasn't making you do something that was beyond your financial means. Remember, I'm not trying to make you poor and, and them rich. And he said the, re, the relief of the people in Jerusalem wouldn't be a harm to the Corinthians. And it was something that they wanted to do originally. So we go on. We go to verse 16. It says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Just like God gave the Macedonians the desire to give, remember the Macedonians, they, it's like they didn't even have the ability. Paul wasn't even going to ask them because they were so poor and they didn't have the money, yet God put it in their heart to give. He says, in that same way, God has put in the hardest heart of Titus a care I have for you. We go on to verse, to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says, In all things I have shown you that my working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. See, Paul was having to uh, remind them of this. See, when Timothy comes and he shows care for them, and what he's going to do is have, collect this offering, which they said they were going to do. This isn't just good for the people of Jerusalem. He's reminding them, what, is it not better to give than receive? And so when he's going to help them, by helping them come through on their promise, by this act of giving, he's actually helping them in a way. You know, I think even, even sometimes people who aren't Christians fall on this. You know, there's many billionaires out there that have decided to give all their money away by the time they die, right? It's not because they're Christians or they're doing it for the love of God. It's just you can find out that there's this principle in life that is so can be so wonderful to give, right? It can be so wonderful to give. And sometimes we think, oh, no, I need this. I need this. I need my time. I need my possessions. I need my money. I need this. And we think we're helping ourselves by holding on to it tightly. And this is what's going on with Corinthians. They, they think they're doing what's best for themselves when they haven't taken up this offering. But in reality, Titus cares for them and he knows what's best for them is that they give. 
For he not only accepted our appeal, Titus, he accepted the appeal of Paul, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. He cares about you, and the way you know he cares about you is that when the time for volunteers to came to make this trip, Titus' hand was up first, right? Taking a trip from Macedonia to Corinth would be no big deal today. You'd hop in a car, but of course then it was much more of a commitment. Verse 18, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So this is our second character, right? We've been talking about Titus, and now we're talking about this other brother, and we're coming to famous, the one who's famous among all the churches. Now, when Paul is talking about taking this collection, and he's trying to say, Titus is a great guy, you can trust him, he cares about you. And he starts to get to the second character, and he wants to say how great he is. Notice the compliment he provides him. Famous among all the church for his preaching of the gospel. Is there a greater compliment for someone than that they preach the gospel? Is there a greater compliment? You should trust, you should think something of this guy because he shares the gospel. You know, you know how you know, a really good way to know if someone really believes the gospel? If they share it with other people. If you really care and you really have sold your life to this thing, and this is the most important thing in your life. Wouldn't other people know about it? So if you want to say, how do I know someone's trustworthy? How do I know someone is really, truly following Christ? An honest person. It's someone who preaches the gospel. And it says he preaches among all the churches. If you're curious who all the churches are, it's probably not all the churches in the whole known world at that point. It's probably all the churches in just Macedonia. We go into verse 19, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. You know, we don't know how this man was elected. We don't know what the process was, if he was chosen by the leadership of the church or if there was some kind of election. We don't really know, but we know this. He was appointed by the churches. This is why it's so important in Baptist missions that when we send missionaries, we try to have a connection back to the local church the best we can. It gets hard. Things get big. I understand that. You have large organizations, so I'm not saying it's easy. That's why we here at Sunnyside, we support the Wangs individually. It's because we want to be able to have a connection the best we can. They can't come back all the time, right? But we want to try to best have a connection person with people as much as we can. That's why I would actually argue uh, in some Baptist denominations, not the American Baptist or the Southern Baptist, but some other ones, they have a system where the missionaries go church to church. And that's nice. The problem with that model sometimes is, is they get supported by 25 different churches. And so which is their church, right? The, the connection gets very messy because they have to come back and like travel around all over the country to even visit and connect with their churches. And I see here that when these things take place, that the churches are the ones that appoint. The churches are the one 
that send out. This is also partially why when we have ordination in the Baptist churches, the churches are the ones that appoint. So we know he's appointed and he's appointed to travel and carry. Another way time that we uh, send delegates, uh, Dr. Mack has done this many times. You know, when the American Baptists have a big meeting, we as a church will send delegates. And I know Dr. Mack has gone for us a number of different times. And so he goes and he carries this out. And so when he goes, he is continuing a pattern that actually started back in 1 Corinthians. You, we, I, I doubt we'd remember this, but it said in 1 Corinthians 16, 3, and when I arrived, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So this is a, long, a journey in which they start in Macedonia. They're making a collection. They're going to Corinth, and likely this is, trip is going to actually end up in Jerusalem. And so when you wanted to send money somewhere, how did you do it? You know, when I was in Trinidad, they did something really interesting. You know, how do we send money to each other business-wise? Business-wise. The one business wants to send money to another business. Oftentimes, nowadays, a lot of electronic stuff, right? A lot of electronics. I mean, I mean, I would, if, you, if I owe you 10 bucks, I'll send it to you on Facebook. I mean, I am like all about the electronics. You guys know that. And so that is becoming the way it is in business. But then you might say, okay, well, kind of an older school, but we still do it. We write checks, right? And then what if, what if you want to write a check to someone across the country? Well, maybe you, you send it to the bank. You get a special kind of check. Or you could mail the check, but you would say, would you ever, if you owed someone money in California, drive to California to give them? I mean, that is just like, oh, we haven't been doing that for a long time. Holy cow. But in Trinidad... When the population's the size of like Omaha, for example, something more like that, and the country's not that big, guess what? They don't really have much of a mailing system there. So Paul, one of his jobs, he did a job, he did it one day a week. Basically, all he did was that he went around and collected money and went to the bank. He was the company's mailman because they didn't have some kind of mail system. I mean, it was such a small place, they just never put in the infrastructure. I mean, can you imagine if our country were only as big as Wichita? Would we build a mail infrastructure? I don't know if we would. They didn't, okay? So he has to go around. And this is actually more like how it worked then, right? There's no Pony Express. How do you get money from Corinth or Macedonia or anywhere else to Jerusalem? You have to send someone. Now, imagine this. You're sending a large amount of money with a few people who are going to be gone a very long time. You think counting the money at a church is a lot of responsibility. This is a heavy responsibility that ha they had. We go on to verse 19, and I do not only that, and not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show our goodwill. So, who is this brother? There's some guesses, FYI, for your information. Some people think he's one of the characters mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, if you want to read them and try to pronounce them. Origen argued that it was Luke. The second character was Luke. And basically, no, for 100%, that wasn't true. And I'm going to go on a small tangent here. I sometimes get in theological discussions with people, and sometimes people say this. 
Well, some guy from a really long time ago, like Origen or Tertullian, or you pick the ancient guy, said it. And somehow, that carries extra weight. Like, it means more. Because some guy in the second century said it, instead of guy, some guy, or woman for that matter, in the 16th century. This is like a fairly popular thing. So even evangelicals have commentaries on the fathers. So you can just read a commentary on what all the fathers said about a particular subject. Now, I'm not opposed to studying the fathers. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this, okay? But I'm trying to, I, I try to figure this out. Second century, third century, you're talking 1,000, 2,000 sometimes, years away from Christ. I'm not sure they had some sort of special insight that make them the tiebreaker. They don't have some sort of a magical ability to understand the Bible. You see what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, some people would argue we have more information today on the different texts of the New Testament than any one person ever would have had back then because of our ability to share knowledge and text with one another. So I just kind of have this personal pet peeve, so you guys get to listen to it. I'm sorry. I just don't think saying, well, someone in the second century said it, so that's how it is. Because you know why? There are times when we know they are 100% wrong, and this is one of them. Like, it can't be Luke. There's some passages in the Acts where we know where Luke was at this time, and he couldn't have been the one who did it. Origins, dead wrong. So why are we going to say he's the tiebreaker on some other issue, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't read him just like we shouldn't read on other commentary. I'm just saying there's nothing magical about having lived a long time ago. We go on to verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. So he brings in these trustworthy people for this gift that's probably quite substantial. This gift would not be, no, this would be no small sum. And this is what I'd like us to notice here. Paul welcomed the accountability. You know, I think you should always be nervous when there's a situation where someone, you say, well, maybe we should put this step of accountability in, and they, and they chafe. And they don't, they don't want that, yeah, I don't really want that step of accountability. Ah. I'm suggesting three things are going on if that person doesn't want that accountability. Maybe that account, I'm going to be nice on the first one. Maybe that accountability is unreasonable, okay? Maybe there's sometimes it is unreasonable, so I'm going to throw that up there as an option, but I don't think that's normally the one. I'm just being nice. Second reason, you don't want the accountability because you're doing something you shouldn't, or you're not doing something that you should. Number three, you're overconfident in your ability to beat the sin nature 100% of the time. You say, I would never do that. And guess what? When you say it, you might believe it. You might believe it. But if you had an experience like me in life, we slip and fall, don't we? We make mistakes. You think pastors that embezzled money when they were in Bible college said, well, guess what I'm going to do when I get out there? I'm going to embezzle money. I bet they didn't. I bet they didn't. 
We need to welcome accountability. Sure, is there unreasonable accountability? Of course. But accountability is a good thing. Because then we know we're not doing something we shouldn't. And then we will not be tempted to do something we shouldn't. Because temptation comes to us all. I want to show you a little video. Maybe some of you have seen it. I cut it up a little bit more. It's like 15 minutes long. I shortened it of maybe a situation where there wasn't quite enough accountability. All right, so Not what really. is this residential center? Oh, this is a, um, a place that the ministry owns. Well, not own. We're we're in the process of buying that. Yeah, we don't so own it yet. So, are you renting to buy, or you... yeah, we're leasing to buy. Do you have that as an asset of two point eight four four two million eight hundred forty four thousand five hundred? So, do you own it? I just answered that, didn't I? I said we didn't own it. Okay, we but where to where buy does it. the? I'm sorry. We're leasing to buy it. Did, did you? I thought we just. That. All right, but yeah. you have listed it as an asset worth $2,844,000. Oh, 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 that should be more of a liability. All right, so where does the number $2,844,000 come from on your asset and liability? That's, I guess, the appraisal value of the home or the residential center. Yeah. Is it a home? No, it's a residential center. We use it. All right, so. You're saying it's not something you own, but you have it listed as an asset of $2.8 million. That's probably a mistake. Like I said, it probably should be a liability. Okay, and what goes on at the residential center? It is a, um, really it's a gathering place for our ministry where I bring in um, different uh, leaders and also the staff that we have uh, as a place of uh, you know, maybe um, resort and teaching and training. Resort? Yeah, teaching. A resort where we teach and train. On November 29th, 2013, JMMI paid over $6,000 to Louis Vuitton. Mm -hmm. Yes. What would that be for? Well, this is for concerning my TV ministry as well. Oh, yeah, for Louis Vuitton. Oh, it don't matter what name it is. The point is clothing are allocated to us for ministry purposes as well. What do you mean they're allocated to you? You know, in a media ministry. In a what? Media ministry. Yeah. Okay, or on the road. When I'm always traveling and using my clothes, I'm sweating through them. So I'm needing new clothes also for television ministry through the years. So. And so um, you used ministry money to buy your wardrobe? Outfit. Your it's, out called, it's allocated more towards uh, ministry um, apparel. Does that go into what your income is? I'm sorry. Do you show that in your income that you got Louis Vuitton clothing? No, that's not. That's That, that, that doesn't show. So June 2014, you spent $3,500 by JMMI to Versace in the Bahamas. Yes? Uh, I'm sure that's right, if, that's, if and, it shows there. And those were, that was for closing for you? Yes, probably. 
Yes, most likely. So you, you don't see that there's any problem when you're ministering to the poor, the sick, the needy, to be appearing in Louis Vuitton and Versace? Well, that ain't something I purchase all the time. Um, well, it looks like you did several you know, times in... Uh, I mean, I, I'm a very frugal person when it comes to this. I go to the right places to get a lot of suits. And if I get some from those places, you don't see that. You don't see, I don't see Macy's. No, you don't see that you know, because Macy's don't have the kind of suits that I wear. But what I'm saying is this, this Louis Vuitton things, you don't see that in our charges all the time. 2013 and 14, you spent over, GMMI spent over $30,000 in your clothes. Does that mm -hmm. sound about right? But what, what year was that? 13 and 14. Oh, God, yeah, that's because I was traveling so much and, and sweating through all my clothes. Exactly. That probably wasn't enough. It's just have so. But they have to be top of the line expensive ones. No, they're not top of the line clothes. Louis Vuitton's like not top of the line? Those not where I get my suits from. Well, you got something Licks. from them for yeah. spent thousands and thousands. Well, the the belts are more lasting, so that's good. Come on, you're buying belts for five thousand dollars. No, I mean okay. I multiple belts, not. August two thousand and fourteen, you went to the Gucci store in Troy and purchased something. Yeah, um, what like would I that say, be? it probably was a belt or maybe shoes. I, I don't okay. know. You testified at your last deposition that JMMI owns three vehicles, a BMW, a Mercedes, and a Bentley. Yes. Have you driven those cars? Yes. Is Michelle? No. I usually have a driver. The three cars <laughs> that we've talked about, in whose name are the titles? Um, being the ministry now. There's a series of documents that total almost fifty thousand dollars mm -hmm. um, to Limo Land mm -hmm. in 2013 and 14. Um, mm -hmm. you, you have to answer yes. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. What was that for? That uh, was to cut the Mercedes into a limo. It was to cut the Mercedes into a limo. I gotta talk to the, I gotta talk to the leadership around here. I mean, at least a driver. I mean, come on, I'll, I'll I'll stop at that, right? Holy cow! You know, I, I'm sure this is an extreme example, but you know, accountability is something we shouldn't chafe at, right? I mean, the the video goes on and on. It was long. I, cu I cut a bunch out. It talk about who was on the board. Who was on the board? Well, he was on his board. On the board, his wife was on the board. And his dad did his taxes. All worked out really well. Vonda can tell you all the attacks, uh, snafus he was making in that particular video, right? Accountability is something that's important. Then he said, goes on in verse 21, he says, For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. You know, part of the reason we be accountable isn't just so, we're doing the right thing, but it's so other people know we are doing the right thing. And I've said this kind of thing before, but I, I'm going to emphasize it again. And I, rem I remember seeing this tattoo, and I've seen it a bunch of times, and it says this. It says, only God can judge me. Have you ever seen that tattoo? Only God can judge me. And I thought this one was kind of funny because it says, well, other than an actual judge, a mother, 
my friends, my colleagues, and people on Twitter, especially people on Twitter. God is the only one that can judge us for our eternal salvation, of course. Of course that's true. And of course there's situations which maybe other people on the outside don't understand, and maybe God really only knows what happened. I understand that. But when we use that excuse, only God can judge me, therefore I can do whatever I want, and you can't tell me a thing about it, right? Is that how Paul lived his life? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the money. You know, God knows. God knows I'm not stealing it. God knows. And only God can judge me. Is that, is that what he did? He says, no. He, Paul welcomed the accountability. And sometimes we, we use God, the fact that he's the ultimate judge, as an excuse to just do what we want. And I hate to say it, when we take that attitude, guess what? God will judge you. God will judge you. And, and he'll get it just right. Verse 22, And with them we are sending our brother, who we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So this is our third brother. So we have Titus, we have a second brother, and we have a third. And the way it's said here, and with them, this kind of language indicates that he's probably kind of, um, he was um, in authority, he was third in line. In authority, I'll put it that way. And apparently this man was someone who accepted Paul's presentation Macedonia to, Corinth, to the Macedonians that Corinth was, in principle, eager, ready, and enthusiastic to complete the collection. So he says, I've sent this person to you, and he has confidence in you. Paul had confidence. He explained that to the people of Macedonia, and this third brother also, also had confidence in them because of what Paul said. We go to verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Paul sums up the qualifications of these three men. So he's saying, I'm making a collection. We've collected in these places. I'm sending these men's collected men to you. And these are men you can trust. Verse 24, so give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about you to these men. This is like the climax. So prove before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you. So prove to the Macedonian church of your love and also prove to Paul and the leadership of your love. You know, we used to, back in the day, and some of you guys probably remember this, we'd have competitions of like Sunday school attendance or whatever. Or maybe church, different churches would have little competitions of this, that, and the other thing. And I used to think, I used to think, these were bad. I used to think these were wrong. You shouldn't compete with one another in this way. I used to think it was like evil. And you know, I've softened over my, over my years in, in lots of ways, in, any, in many things. But then I look at this and I say, you know, is the Corinthian church supposed to show the Macedonian churches that they love? Are they? Sure looks like to me here. Sure looks like it to me here. 
So if a church, another church looks at Sunnyside Baptist Church and says, do you love the way that we should? You know what we should say? We welcome the accountability. We welcome the accountability. Sometimes when you're a lone church and you're all by yourself or you get, you get on your own, where's the accountability? Where's the accountability? And I think as we talk about this gift and this collection that we're taking, you can tell what I'm driving at this morning. Accountability in our lives is a good thing. We need to have accountability in our relationships. We need to have accountability in our work lives, our marriages, as a church. Accountability is a good thing. When we chafe at accountability, when we don't want it, we have to look at ourselves and say, why don't I want it? Why don't I want it? Am I, am I being overconfident that I'm just never going to do anything wrong? Am I doing something wrong? I mean, maybe, maybe it is unreasonable. But I think a lot of times, it's usually not unreasonable, the accountability in our lives. We chafe at it. We would never do it. We would never do it. And I'm offended to think you ever thought I would. How dare you ever think I would sin? How dare you think I would ever do anything wrong? Hey, guess what? On this side of heaven, we're all tempted to do what's wrong. And we need to not chafe against the accountability in our lives. Individual people, small groups, churches, multiple levels. Accountability is a good thing. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this passage. And we learn about how Paul wanted accountability with how he was handling the money. He wanted honest people, multiple people, him not being the only one and demonstrating that he welcomed it. Lord, I just pray we would welcome accountability in our lives. I just pray we would follow the leadership of Paul and ultimately follow your leadership. Lord, we want to follow you. We want you to lead us. And I just pray that when accountability comes, that we would follow you and say, yes, yes, I need to be accountable. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.